Welcome to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. My name is Michael Cirillo, and each week I sit down with the brightest minds in marketing, sales, and leadership to help you level up your career in automotive. Thank you so much for spending your time here with me today. Now let's open up the playbook. Here we go. Hey, what's going on? We're back with another episode of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my new friend, Alan Schaefer, a career musician turned leadership mentor, coach, juggernaut. Listen, man, this guy is going to drop some power bombs about leadership, probably from an angle that you may not be expecting. I know I wasn't. I was planning on rolling into this episode, giving people a big fat leadership kick to the nuts. But you got to stay tuned because he really shifts the paradigm and shows you what you can do to be a leader of one. Here we go. Yeah, well, there you go. And, and I'm super intrigued by the topic because collaborative leadership yes. is not something you hear a lot of, uh, especially in this space. I mean, there are there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there are very progressive uh, uh, car dealers out there, dealership owners. But the idea of I'm the boss, do what I say, uh, is still very prominent. <laughs> yeah, and, and not just in this industry, but in a variety exactly. of industries. Like right now. I mean, my wife's going to roll her eyes when she listens to this episode because I would say one of my, my uh, man crushes right now is Chef Gordon Ramsay. And oh, we, yeah, man. We, we've been watching a ton of his like Kitchen Nightmare shows and, and Hotel Hell. And what, what attracts me to this guy is, is his, his style of rolling in, smacking somebody upside the head, you know, bursting their bubble so that he can teach them, hey, here's what you need to do to succeed. And one of the biggest problems I notice on every episode is how like, you know, head in the ground the leader is. <laughs> yes. Or the boss. They might not actually be a leader. That's the problem. It's, it's interesting. And, and, you know, the work that we do, you know, at banding, you know, I, it's essentially, you know, we help people get out of their own way. We help like, like what a producer does in a, you know, with a band in the studio environment, you know, we help create the optimal conditions so the magic can happen. And what's really, what's really fascinating is, you know, those who can't distinguish between like a boss or a manager or a leader, you know, they're, they're very different things. And, you know, what's especially interesting in the car business, at least what, what I found, you know, with my father uh, and watching his career, you know, how does someone get uh, to be like the sales manager? It's because they sold a lot of cars. Mm -hmm. So so the same skill set that's re that that makes you great at, um, you know, connecting with people or maybe, you know, or, or your deal maker, whatever it is, isn't necessarily the same skill set required for leading others and coaching others and and helping others step into their best self. And so, you know, um this is a pretty simple idea from my point of view, which is, look, our job as leaders is to create uh, an environment where people want to be. And so what does that look like? And, you know, I think I think there's – I don't even think you can, you know, limit this to 
leadership, I, you know, I think this is a human thing, right? We all want to have a voice. You know, we all want to be heard, right? Um, whether you're, whether you're, you know, even even a customer, someone who's going in to buy a car, still wants to be heard. And then the question becomes, like, what are you as the, what are you doing to make sure that they feel heard, or you're just trying to close the deal? Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's because really at the end of the day, um, you're still providing a solution. Someone's got a problem they got to solve, and I think it's your job whatever you're selling is to help them solve the problem. Hey, I need a place. I need something that's going to make me feel better about myself or I want something to get me from point A to point B or I need something for my job, whatever it is. And so, you know, this idea that, um, you know, you know, it's funny. I've I've heard it said and I think it was, so I had someone who told me this, uh, who picked me up. I was doing a talk down in Amelia Island and I, I think it might be a Zig Ziglar quote. I'm not sure, but he said to me, he goes, People don't care about what you know until they know you care. Mm. And I got to tell you, my father cared. It was evident. He cared enough to where it didn't matter what kind of car he was selling. His people followed him wherever he went. And that's pretty telling, right? I mean – you know, when he was selling BMWs, like, oh, it's such a superior car than Mercedes. Well, then we sell a Mercedes, and all those people that he said, don't buy the Mercedes, they went and bought the Mercedes. And then when he went to Jaguars, like, it's a different car. This is this is English. This is, you know, like, but they bought him. Sure. And and so, you know, he, um, yeah. I, well, that kind of reminds me of, uh, I, th- I think it's Simon Sinek who, who said something along the lines of, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. That's right. And so that, that kind of ties in there because, I, I mean, to this day, just franchise new car salespeople in the United States, something like 230,000, maybe maybe a little bit more or less. Um, and what majority of them are sitting there right now going, man, nobody wants to buy from you. This is slow. Things are slow. I've, I, You know, I've had people that listen to the show reach out to me on Facebook and say, man, I'm having the slowest month I've ever had this. I'm, I'm doing everything I know how. What I find intriguing, though, is what what you're talking about is often the thing that, okay, we're doing everything we know how to do. This is often the thing they don't do. Is it, This is almost like personal leadership first. Yeah. Yeah. So what does it take to get there. I mean, what does it take to, to kind of have that self-awareness and say, Hey, you know what? There is this one thing that I can do differently. And it's, it's that I need to start leading myself. I need to be a leader of myself. I need to be a leader of others. I don't have to wait for my store managers or, or, you know, you know, the common excuses that we all give ourselves. Well, my boss won't let me do that. Or my, my boss won't let me be a leader of myself or, you know, because we give ourselves these, these types of things. So, what can I do? What's the paradigm shift? What do I tell myself to say, no, actually you do have more control than you think you do. Here's what you do. Well, I'll, I'll tell you there, there's a few things and, 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 and we can kind of maybe parcel this into a couple of different ideas. Okay. I think first and foremost, what one thing that would be helpful for, for those listening is, so this idea of just, when we, when we talk about collaboration, right. And working with people, right. Um, it's there's no good reason why any of us should be good at it. 
<laughs> there really isn't. And, and, and I'm, I'd like to lay out kind of three very particular reasons. So, so the, the reason banding people together exists, we solve a problem that we call collaborative insanity, which is the simple notion that just telling people to work together better accomplishes anything. Like, hey, I need you to work better with Steve, and Steve, I need to work better with Mike. Like, it doesn't really change anything, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost the equivalent of going, hey, you're an adult now. Oh, you don't speak Italian. I need you to go speak Italian over there with that person, <laughs> right? So, so that's so we're ne- we've never been taught in right. school how to collaborate, right? So that's the first problem. So the second piece of this is there's no collaborative rules of the road. So there are the equivalent of collaborative car crashes going on every second of every day. I mean, think about if everyone gets on the road today and decides, you know what? There are no rules. I mean, I'm just going to drive how I feel based on my agenda or my mood or whatever. You have chaos and a lot of emergency room visits. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece, because there's no rules of the road, it's completely subjective. And this is a big idea. So what's collaborative to you and what's collaborative to somebody else most likely aren't the same thing. And therein lies the rub. So now – there's three reasons why – how in the world could we possibly really collaborate in any way that makes sense? And so um, you know, there's something that I've, I've dabbled in a little bit and learned about called game theory, uh, economic game theory. And, and one of the thoughts in game theory is that in order to be a rational player in the game, you have to have all the information. And so when we're working with others – I think the challenge is we don't have all the information. And and by the way, I just especially for your for, for your audience, this isn't just about internally, this is externally. So like, you know, when when someone walks into a, a, a showroom, I mean, there's a collaboration to be had, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. And 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 collaboration also it's it's more it's more than just an activity. Um, we define collaboration uh, uh, by alignment. So, so here's the thing. In our, we have a methodology called true collaboration. And what we teach is that if you're not aligned, you're not collaborating, you're cooperating. And let me tell you what happens in cooper- when, when people cooperate. That's when you get the meeting after the meeting mm-hmm. um, and the water cooler talk. But, but as human beings, yeah. when we're aligned, things feel good. Right? Yeah. Think about in any human dynamic. Um, uh, you know, you can you can be in a restaurant and see a couple that's maybe having a bad go at it. Mm-hmm. Just look at their body language. And go, okay, they're not lines. Sure. So, so I think as leaders, our job is to help create the conditions to uh, to get people aligned, so they can so the magic can happen. And so, you know, I, I think I think the first thing that someone really can do is uh, a not wait for somebody else. Right. And so leadership is about self-awareness. You know, the more self-aware that I get, the more effective of a leader I become and the greater results that I see mm-hmm. in our organization individually and collectively. And I don't I don't think that's rocket science. Um, Why aren't more people self-aware in your opinion? Oh, well, I, so I can tell you and I'll try not to go psychobabble on you. OK. But, there's this thing called the ego, <laughs> and I've heard it described as edging greatness out. Um, uh. Yeah, not my words. I don't know where I picked that up along the way. And 
So the ego is, you know, things, ego is almost like animal instinct, right? It's, 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 it's what kicks in to help you when you think you need it to survive. Sure. So things like fear, anger, jealousy, <laughs> you know, sure. those are all things that like, you know, like it's the protective piece. Sure. And here's what's so fascinating about the ego. The ego, you know, some people believe that perception is reality, and I don't believe that at all. I believe perception is one's reality. So, you know, you go, go into a restaurant with five people and everybody get the same hamburger. Three people are going to tell you it's the best burger they ever had. One's going to say it's the worst, and one's going to say it's so-so. Mm-hmm. So, so what? So what does that mean, Right. It's like somebody saying, well, I got a good deal. I got a bad deal. I got an okay deal. That salesman was good. He was bad. He was okay. Those are, these are these descriptors that, again, just like collaboration, are completely subjective. And so therein lies, therein lies the rub of like getting to a place of going, I mean, we have blind spots. So when you're driving in a car, you know so if you're trained properly in a car, you know that when you look in the rear in the side mirror that you will need to look this way because you have a blind spot. As human beings, we don't think we have blind spots. So for anyone listening, I would say the first thing, the the path to awareness is to to know that you have blind spots. Uh, it's funny as you're as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, man, you know what? I've said perception is reality with with this one edition of perception is one's reality and and further validating that point with your your uh, burger analogy because we do that all the time growing up in a European household the the perception was no you need to accept my perception of reality I like the burger you're crazy for not liking the burger and we do this all the time. Like, imagine, imagine what would happen on Facebook if everyone could just accept the fact that perception is one's reality. Oh man! Well, <laughs> Facebook would cease to exist. There would be no reason. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. And and you know, <clears throat> excuse me. It's um, you know, and along that along those lines of of reality, um, you know. I think our job as a leader is to take as much of this, you know, the the more I am able to take subjectivity out of those that I lead, uh, whether it's our customers, whether it's people in our organization, the better it feels, the more, the more clarity we have. Right. And, and cause the idea is like, you know, someone said something to me so important one time and I've never forgotten it. And it was, um, he was the head of sales for a global hotel, uh, organization. And he said, I don't know what I don't know. And some people aren't really comfortable with that. For a guy like me, I live by it. I, you know, I want, I want to stumble into every blind spot I got. And here's the thing. Here's what I think a great leader does. And I'm still, I, I, I continuously work at it. You know, not only, does a great leader help everyone else step into their best selves? They drink their own medicine. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, there's no one on my team that can't offer constructive feedback or criticism at any given time in anything that we do. And not only is it wanted, it, it is expected. 
Like if you're going to be in this band, um, you know, so we have this foundational agreement that we're all here to help each other step into our best selves. Now, here's the thing. If you really believe it, it takes the sting out of that big, big, bad C word criticism Mm -hmm. or or the F word feedback, (laughs) you know, Um, because I don't I just don't take anything personally. It's part like, of your culture. Yeah, it's part of the culture. And you know something? You know, we've all – so under the guise of the perception thing, so you, obviously you're familiar with the golden rule, right? Which yeah. is essentially treat others how you want to be treated. Sure. Have you ever heard of the platinum rule? I don't know. Oh, man. The platinum rule is treat others how they want to be treated. Okay. Think about this. And let me give you a great example. Here's, here's hopefully a concrete example. So have you ever heard someone – you know, someone will say, well, I don't know what they got upset about. That wouldn't have bothered me. I wouldn't have, up, I wouldn't have been upset if they said that to me. It's like, guess what? You're not me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's, it's simple, right? Yeah. So, so think about the, like, even for the customer that's sitting, like, you know, someone's sitting there getting ready to buy a car, right? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, if you're, if you're treating them like you want to be treated, you might be. You leaving. got a 50-50. That's right. You treat them like they want. My father always treated everybody like they wanted to be treated. That was his jam. So I know I I know the question now that some are thinking. Well, how do we find out how they want to be treated in a way that isn't creepy? Do you, do you know what I mean? Customer walks into the showroom or into your business, whatever the setting is, and you and they're sitting here thinking, "How do I know how these people want to be treated?" Well, that's a good question. So, so I'll tell you. Um, I think there's a few things that people, um, you know, again under the guise of self awareness. I mean, I think just the act of, you know, there's a just the act of going into a into a car dealership <laughs> is like, <laughs> depending on how what whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, a type A, or something like, man, I don't I don't want to have to negotiate. Sure. Uh, you know, that's why you've seen these non-negotiated models pop up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so empathy is the word that I would use and empathy is probably not something that you, that maybe gets associated with, um, the sales process or especially in the, you know, you know, in the, you know, car dealership world, but, you know, knowing full well that someone's sitting here and that this is a big purchase for them, it's a big decision and that just the very nature of the dynamic for some is really uncomfortable. I mean, some people like my twin brother would rather lick oatmeal out of a toilet than sit there <laughs> and have anything that is remotely <laughs> confrontational sure. in any shape or form. And then there's other people that want to come in and they want to win. They want to feel like they won. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to get the deal. And, you know, I, I think the idea that, um, you know, I, I think that when you're selling, the goal is to be a, you know, a trusted advisor and and to help someone solve the problem. And, you know, here's what's so funny. It's like, and you, you can speak to this, but like my understanding, you know, from talking to my father about this, he's, he's been retired for years. But, you know, a lot of these, a lot of, I don't know if, if people realize the shift that has happened. You know, cars have gotten so the, the car business, just like every every other business, has gotten so commoditized. These guys aren't making money because they're like 
pounding you on on on, on the on the margins, right? right? The way a lot of these salespeople are are earning their bonuses is by volume, right? In in some cases, and so so as a consumer, you know, one thing to think about is it's like okay, maybe this person's actually more of an advocate than they might have been in the past, you know, because it's not that it's it's just not the same dynamic always mm-hmm. as it, as it once was, and so. You know, uh, you know, I I just bought a car this past year, and you know, this guy told this gentleman told me and it was granted as a friend of my father. He said, "Like, look, man, I'll be honest with you. I, I'll make more. I, I I actually make more money selling something pre-owned than I do selling you this new car. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, so we get. You know, I get thirty percent of uh, of this. Yeah." You know, Oh, and you know, and so like he was, exp- it was fascinating. Like he was explaining to me that, um, you know, you, uh, and he was so laid back and he'd been doing it a long time. And he was like, Hey man, just tell me what you need and I'm going to figure it out for you. Yep. <laughs> you know? So, sorry, I, I don't mean to, you know, get off the beaten path here, but so I, I know. So the idea of kind of this idea of, of awareness, like being yeah. self aware and being, and having this degree of empathy that, you know, Whoever's sitting across from you is perceiving the world most likely differently than you are. And so another um, another great exercise to become more self-aware is to eliminate what I call absolutes. You know what absolutes are? It's a it's a absolute in language. Um, uh, you never. You always. Okay. Yep. Everybody. Yep. Oh, everything. Um, you need to do sure. X. You should do X. Sure, yeah. People actually don't want to be told that. They don't want to – I can tell you this. My wife certainly <laughs> you know, she doesn't want to be told you need – hey, you need to stay in our budget. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, um, and, and so these like you, – you'll be amazed now that I've maybe even mentioned this. Like how many how times often, you, yeah. and how often, like I still have to catch myself. Sure. Because the, here's the thing. It, it lacks awareness. It's very rare that something is an absolute. And you know what absolutes fuel? Absolute, absolutes close down the possibility of being open-minded. And at the end of the day, isn't that like the more self-aware we are, the more open-minded we become and and for that's how we get aligned so i feel like you, you know what what i love about this is the the truth is the truth there's so many truths that you've shared um <laughs> you, you know we've covered a variety of things here self awareness yep how to be more self aware i love this thing about absolutes cuz now i'm kind of replaying a, a bunch of different conversations in my head and i'm like wow that was <laughs> that was very absolute um, one of the things I loved that you said is I don't know what I don't know. This, this idea of conscious incompetence. Oh man, that's the phrase that pays. That's great. Like, like I'm, I'm conscious that I don't know. Like if, if, if more people could just admit that they are consciously competent, like I, I think of this progression of. You know, I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. Um, 
if I say to my five-year-old, tie your shoes, he all of a sudden becomes aware that he never knew how to do that. Like, so he's, he's kind of living in this state of uh, un or like unconscious incompetence because he actually didn't know that he didn't know. Um, and then you teach him and he becomes consciously comp uh, incompetent because he knows he didn't. Now he knows he didn't know. And then you, you kind of work through this progression of him practicing. So he becomes consciously competent at tying his shoes. Like, okay, now I'm, you know, right over left under, you know, that sort of thing. And ultimately you arrive at this kind of, I call it the football at the face kind of, you know, if somebody throws a football at my face, I don't have to think about it. I'm just going to immediately, you know, throw my arms up. And so you become subconsciously competent it's like you you know it so well that you don't have to think about it anymore and so it kind of i i think of these four phases because whether it's becoming self-aware tying your shoes showing empathy uh uh whatever it might be interactions with customers with coworkers, leadership spouses significant others it doesn't matter that that to me kind of embodies the progression that you take hey maybe you didn't know that you were uh, a piece of garbage <laughs> or, a, or a dick or something like that. And, and then somebody made you aware and you realized, oh, wait, I am a dick. And, and you know, and you kind of work through these phases until you get to the point where, um, like you said, Zig Ziglar's quote earlier or his other famous quote about helping others, you, you know, you'll have everything you want by helping others get what they want sort of a mentality. And you're doing that so naturally that you don't have to think about it anymore. It's as if somebody's throwing a football at your face and you're catching it just out of instinct. Now it becomes instinctive. Yeah, I will tell you the world looks a lot different when you get to that place. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Yeah, you're well. You wait. You mean that there's going to be less people complaining about elections and? Uh... <laughs> yeah, you know that. That's the other thing. Um, you know, so so I think. Um, you know, I think. I think also under the guise of, of of awareness and just sort of like changing your lens. You know, I think there's some people that have more of an abundance mindset, and some people come from really more of a lack and. and that of scarcity sure and and so you know i i think in for the 21st century leader um you know i have a friend named uh, ayelet baron who who just came out with a book um a great 21st century leader book leadership book and uh um like that it's like the journey back to the journey to corporate sanity and she talks a great deal about you know this coming from a place of abundance as opposed to a place of scarcity. And in a lot of organizations, you know, they're actually, the organizations themselves are creating the conditions that actually create the scarcity, which actually, well, competition is, by my estimation, a part of everything, and healthy uh, competition is a part of the collaborative process. Yeah. Um, some pretty unhealthy conditions that 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 get created, especially within sales organizations and you know, when you start talking about what we're rewarding and what we're penalizing people for, mm -hmm. but I mean, this this idea that um, you know, I think for those listening, also, it's like just because your boss doesn't mean you're a leader, and and you know, your your job as a leader, if you if you if you can't get to a place where you believe that your job as a leader is um, is anything less than, than uh, helping others be great and elevating others, then I, then I think you're missing it. Do you think people 
well, I, I'm sure I know the answer to this because it's, I mean, the, the writing's on the wall, but l- let me rephrase what I was about to ask. Why do people feel intimidated or frightened by the concept of elevating those around them? Is it a jealousy thing? Is it a, hey, is it a job security thing? Like, I mean, why, you know, in our organization, we really strive for a culture. And and I say strive because we're not perfect at it. But, you you know, the kind of underlying theme of the culture at our agency is, um, you know, you do have a voice. We do want feedback and we want to elevate. You you know, if you can't criticize without elevating, then you're just complaining or you're just being nitpicky or something like that. So, but, you know, I know what my answer would be, but, you know, I'm curious to hear from you. Why, why do so many quote unquote bosses think they're leading by not elevating, by critiquing the way they do, by being hard, by like, it's kind of the pseudo military mindset. You know, get down in the trenches and give me, you know, that sort of a concept. What's your opinion? Well, first of all, it's funny. Well, you you know, and and while it was maybe unintentional, you know, use the word bosses. Yeah. And 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 so um, again, in a lot of cases, when somebody is made a boss, they're made a boss for maybe a number of different reasons. It's certainly not always their leadership ability. Maybe sometimes, maybe not. But here's what I so that's the scarcity mindset, though. Um, you know, okay. let me give you a great example. So I played around the music scene in Atlanta for years and, you know, uh, you know, there are two types of bands. There's one type, there's one type of artist or band that goes, Oh man, can you believe that so-and-so around here just got a record deal? And there's one type of band that goes, they just got my deal. Sure. There's another mindset that goes, man, so-and-so just got a record deal. And now, now the whole world is looking at the music that's being made in Atlanta. What a great opportunity. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and that's a choice, but you know, people who are coming from a place of scarcity, um, you know, can be a number of, <laughs> a number of different reasons. Um, gosh, and I don't mean to sound so psychobabbly, but like, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as them, you know, not having enough as a kid. I, I mean, you know, well, and I was be- about, I don't think it's psychobabble. I was about to say, were they just brought up wrong? Like, was this an, in, because of their, are they, uh, a subject of their circumstances being brought up or yeah like but, uh, I'll tell you like someone who has so i'll tell you this so like you know there's certain people that are a little maybe easier to lead than others like so what i found is for people that have um approval issues mm-hmm. they they're much more you're going to do this a little bit more and so you have to be a little more bruce lee be the water with them <laughs> uh if they're going to make it sure uh, uh, because they have a convincing mechanism they're proving. And while they're not consciously proving to you as mom or dad, essentially that's the dynamic that's being created. So I find that those people don't take criticism well, um, no matter how you serve it up. You know, um, I, I will tell you this, at least for me, I, I've, I've really had a shift in this last year, um, uh, a, a, you know, Somebody that I, I met in particular, uh, you know, Dwayne Cummings, mm-hmm. um, you know, he helped me see things a bit differently. Um, you know, I, I think there was a time where I thought, man, I'm investing so heavily in these people. And like almost not a fear, but like I want to make sure that I'm doing whatever I can to keep them here. 
and really I've flipped that. I've, I've kind of done a 180 on that. And I'm like, you know, if I focus on being the best leader that I can and I invest in people and I'm constantly elevating others, as, as Dwayne would say, um, the best thing that can happen is they get too big for this band. That, w that, they're, that they just have too much to offer the world that we can't contain them. And what a testament to the environment and the culture and our collective you know, ability to grow here, which is a really different place to be, you know? Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, it's interesting. I think in the car business, sometimes you have people that are like, um, we'll never get a shot at being a leader because maybe they just sell too many deals. Maybe they're too good on the floor. Yeah. You know, um, there's all kinds of factors, but I think, you know, one of the things that people are just not good at is letting go. As human beings, we're just, we just kind of suck at that. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's why we self-sabotage. It's why, it's how we get in our own way. You know, and I think as a, I think to be a great leader and to be self-aware, I, th I think you have to be able to let go. I think you have to be able to kind of look through a different lens and, and kind of be ravenous about learning. Love it, man. Alan, thanks so much for joining me on the dealer playbook. Where can, uh, where can those listening or watching get in touch with you or your organization? Yes. So we are, uh, so banding people together.com is the website. Um, my email is Alan, A L A N at banding PT.com. And, uh, man, I always, you know, I'm, this is, this is my passion. This is my, my way of hoping to, you know, shift thinking in the world. And so, uh, the workplace doesn't suck. And so we can change the dinner table conversation because everyone has a great day at work. So I really appreciate you having me. And, uh, and if anyone's also remotely curious, five star Iris, you can check it out on YouTube. I think there's still plenty of I'm stuff out. checking it out. Yeah. F I B E S T A R I R I S. And, uh, Anybody decides to email me, I'll send you some. I'll send you some unreleased music. I'm just out of musical retirement. Love it, man. Thanks so much for joining me on the DPB. Yeah, thanks so much. Look, man, I don't even know where to start, but that was some serious power bombage. In this episode, Alan shared some things that really stood out to me. For example, the concept of being a leader of one, being a leader of myself, leading myself, uh, uh, fostering and nurturing leadership character traits and attributes to govern myself first will have a very positive impact on those around me, whether it's customers, coworkers, my actual leadership, uh, my subordinates, if that's a term that you would use as a leader, um, but, you know, constantly being in this state of shifting your paradigm, changing the way you see things, admitting that you don't know certain things and that that's something you should not be afraid of admitting. Um, and just having this collaborative uh, culture and work environment that's going to allow not only you, but those around you to rise to success. If you found this uh, information valuable, I would love 
I would be honored for an honest review on iTunes. I'm going to link you up in the description and in the show notes at www.thedealerplaybook.com. And until next time, guys, keep the playbook open and dominate.